Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are you doing, Celine? I am doing pretty well, Patrick. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm good. A little dislocated right now. Not at home, but uh, I get back there tonight, and so that'll be nice. Well, where are you? Uh, Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah, working on a story. Uh, we'll see what comes of it. This is a little more speculative than some things, so <laughs> not really ready to talk about it too much yet. All right, all right. We'll, <laughs> we'll stay tuned. Stay yeah. tuned. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, didn't you race this past weekend? No, that is coming up. That is uh-huh. that is uh, that is a off road mountain bike race. <laughs> I guess all mountain bike races are off road. It's called Keystone <laughs> Off Road. And it's um, this coming weekend. And I have to tell you, I did a I have not been on my mountain bike very much at all. Uh, I've been I've been on my gravel bike a lot, a lot, a lot. And Mm -hmm. we had after a really beautiful April, we had a pretty rainy May and I just stayed off the trails. And this is the first I went out for a ride today just to remind myself that I could indeed still ride a mountain bike. Um, Because it's going to be 55 miles and it's it's not going to be uh, easy. And this is the first time in probably 25 years that I feel not ready for something like I, I am. I'm I obviously I'll be fine. I have miles on the legs. It's not that. But I I am a uh, you know, I am somebody who goes into stuff prepared and I, I am not trained for this the way i want to be trained for this i am not prepared um so it's it's going to be a very new uh, adventure for me this weekend huh uh yeah should have some stuff to talk about hopefully <laughs> hopefully hopefully good well, what's what is the i mean why do you i mean i know you've written a lot you've trained a lot you've been disciplined in a way i absolutely have not been so to hear you say you don't feel prepared, I I look down on my legs and go, dude, we have got to talk. <laughs> no. So this is so this is it. I was thinking about this an awful lot on my little ride today um, that, you know, when I was racing mountain bikes a lot, a lot, like when that was my primary focus, I routinely did a lot of um road rides and what you would call gravel rides on my mountain bike because i'm a big i'm a big believer in specificity of fitness and mountain bikes are just so different right the gearing's different the position's different they're bigger they're slower all that stuff so i Mm -hmm. i put in the majority of my time even when i wasn't on the trails because the trails here are so rocky sometimes you can't get the kind of time in that you need you know just because you're going so slow Sure. Uh, but I would I would do so much of my training. I'd spend so much time on my mountain bike to be mountain bike fit. And I just haven't done that. Like this is I just haven't done it. I, I've had so many gravel events and I've been riding my gravel bike on trails and, you know, just do it like that's just been sort of my new fixation, if you will. And I and also because of the weather, I just haven't done that. And I don't feel it's gonna. It's going to be interesting. I. I don't. I. You know. I got on my mountain bike. I'm like, oh, this feels different. <laughs> so, you know, and I haven't really felt that way in a long time. So, uh, you know, it'll come back to me. I have a good five or six hours for it to return. But um, yeah, it, it's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting. But it is. It is very much. And that's okay. Like I'm not. This isn't something. This isn't an event that I had any uh, podium aspirations or PR aspirations for anything like that. 
but I also don't want to die or suffer. You know, I don't, it's not fun to, to suffer in an unfun way. You know what, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I, I am familiar. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's fun suffering and then there's unfun suffering. So I'm hoping for not too much unfun suffering. That's that's the bar is very low right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, you know, at least you you've set your sights, you know. Yeah. 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 I like to make achievable goals. So that's <laughs> that'll be one of them. We'll oh, have stuff well. to talk about next weekend or next yeah, show for sure. Yeah. And I finally get a weekend off next weekend. Oh, I thought you had a thing. Um, that was this past weekend. King oh. Ridge. Yeah. Okay. Which I went into thinking was the last event in the Grasshopper Adventure Series, but I hadn't realized that the upcoming uh, Mendo Hopper, what, Jackson Forest, was a, a, a now additional event in the series. So I wasn't finished on Saturday oh. the way I thought it was. Um, uh, apparently, I didn't read. <laughs> it happens. Uh, it happens. Yeah. Uh, but uh, once again, I got humbled. Um that said, you know, in 80 miles and whatever it was, 8,000-ish, 10,000-ish feet of climbing. And this was, is a gravel event, right? Mixed. Mixed. Oh, okay. I mean, because okay. to say it's gravel is a little bit of a misnomer. We weren't off-road all that much. Uh, there's one dirt descent, one dirt climb, another section of dirt that had to be taken out this year because it just wasn't drying out the way mm -hmm. that Miguel wanted. Uh, the dirt descent was one that I didn't think we were going to get to do anymore down that road. I've talked about Willow Creek that yeah. just my favorite stretch of road in the world, which is probably a prime indicator of just how off I am. Uh, but the, the big redwood that was down, we mm -hmm. had a, there was an additional way to get around it, uh, around the root ball. And then, uh, the, the other landslides, you know, there was still enough room to ride through, the one place where the road settled two feet, some uh, transitions had kind of been chipped into uh, the those those sharp edges so that we could ride down and then back out. Um, that made for its own little adventure. I caught some air on the way out. <laughs> um, Willow Creek was the only spot in six hours of racing. It was the only spot on the entire course where I made up time on people. Wow. That's cool. Still cool. Well, take it where you get it. Yeah, I just I wish there had been some other spots on the course where I could have made up more time on people. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Yeah, but you know, it was a good day. I, relative to me, and knowing that one of my legs is fifty percent of the strength of the other, I'll I'll take how I did. You know, I got through it. I was a half an hour faster than last year. That's good. I, so you're going to so start I, tapering now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I am firmly in my taper. Uh, and, you know, having three days off this week, I'm I'm not freaking out about it. Uh, right. When right. Friday rolls around and I get to be home in the rain, <laughs> I'll go do an hour and a half in the rain because the rain is back. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just absurd. Well, I've, I've seen that at the, I, I don't, I don't, I've been watching them do the tour of California, the pre-ride that Yuri and Hoswald mm -hmm. and those guys do that I did with them one year. And I, they have gotten hit with some of that. And I don't miss that. Uh, the riding those long days and that rain was, was hard. It was really hard. I just, I can't even imagine that. I've so been invited hard. a couple of times and it's real hard. <laughs> No well, surprise, you. It's real hard. Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that, like, just being away from two little boys and leaving all of that on mom is not a great idea for my future, right? But beyond that, I just, I simply couldn't hack that. That you know, what was the the stage yesterday, the day before, one hundred and thirty three miles? Mm -hmm. Just to ride that and then have to get up and do anything more than sixty miles the next day? No. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was, I obviously I was trained and fit for that, but the, but the hard, even when you're trained and fit for it, the really, really hard part is that you're ahead of the pros. So, you know, it, the, you get up ungodly early and you've got to get out because 
you only have so much time, right? They right. if they catch you, you're off. You're off. And so it's there's there's pressure. You know, there's pressure to do it yeah. to keep moving and and to do it fairly quickly. And it's uh, that part is hard. The mornings are rough. You know, they're early and rough, and you're just like, oh my god, how, here we go. How early were you getting up? Definitely by five thirty ish. I mean, they were. Oh, they that's were not that bad. I was afraid no. you were going to say four. <laughs> oh no, no, four is terrible. I. I Five does not bother me, but like, you know, it was rolling out at triathlete time. We, we were just like mm. getting out there bef- well before the well before the event. Um, it's it's yeah, super hard. And we got poured on some days and some of those descents. I mean, you watched what was that guy? I don't know if anyone's been watching the tour yes. California, the guy going down, whatever that descent was, that just kept blowing turns and stuff. I um, we went to sound some of that stuff in the rain and I. I don't like descending like that on my road bike really in the rain. It, mm-hmm. it's, I'm not happy with it. And it was, that took a lot of energy too. you know, just, we, I remember ducking in like some Chick-fil-A or something and just trying to like get our stopping wet clothes off and get warm and Oof. yeah, it's glamorous. Um, but it was, you know, it's, it's super cool. And it's just, I, I it's, it people, I think it's, I think it's easy to watch these races and sort of kind of know that they're suffering, but man, <laughs> the, it's those were those stages are real hard. Yeah, <laughs> very long, really hard. Yeah, I mean, just just to do thirty six miles an hour for a stretch doesn't even have to be all that long. Just doing thirty six miles an hour, yeah. Yeah. no matter how big the pack uh, is, that's a lot of work. Yeah, there's a yes, lot of wind resistance. So yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. So <sighs> yeah, more power to him. <laughs> Alrighty. What do you got this week? So little story. Um, my daughter had her SATs last Saturday uh, and she was super nervous. And I promise this will this will come around to bicycles, but she was sure. super nervous. Uh, so she took one of those SAT prep classes, uh, uh-huh. which was every Saturday morning from 10 to 1230 for about two months. And then, you know, the main event was finally here. So the night before you went to dinner and early night, I said, do you have all your stuff ready? And of course, yes, mom. So we wake up bright and early. I make her a good breakfast. Her dad is going to take her at 745 because she needs to be there before eight. You know, it's right down the road. Well, it's like 744 and I see her rummaging through one of her bags with that look on her face. (laughs) And I'm like, what are you looking for? Like my pencils. (laughs) Because, you know, you need to have a number two pencil. Uh, at least one. It's it's important. It's still a thing. And they're not allowed. To, she had an uh, engineering pencil in her hand, but you're not allowed to take those those mechanical pencils because oh, really? people know because I guess people have figured out that you can cheat by putting like an answer sheet in there. Like ludicrous. Oh. So she, I'm like, right. you don't have your pencils. And she's looking in this bag. And she's like, I was sure that I left them in this bag. And of course, now everyone's like waving their arms and shouting at each other. And luckily, we live right around the corner from a 24-7 grocery store. So her dad's like, get in the car. And they got in the car and she still made it to the SATs on time. But it was obviously like a really bad way to set the tone for the day. Right. Like it's just you prepare for months and you have this thing and you don't have your pencils. Yeah. So I mean, that's like a nightmare. It is like a nightmare. It was it was actually just a, like a mini living nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so later later that evening, I sat down and I explained like preparation rituals to her because she's usually like a really prepared kid. So it almost felt like self-sabotage. Like I've ne- I don't I don't have to I don't have to wake her up in the morning. She's very self she's she's very self-sufficient. So it was it was weird. So I was like so I figured it some of it might have been nerves. She was very nervous. You know, and I, I, it reminded me a lot of what I see so many people do before bike races. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen people show up at events without their shoes, without their helmets. A friend of mine bought a bell helmet from a Walmart right before a race because he mm-hmm. left his in his garage. I've had a friend, friend race on a borrowed mountain bike that was two sizes too small because he left his front uh, through axle on the roof of his car and drove away from Philly. Oh. And obviously that skewer was long gone uh, by the time he reached Virginia. Uh, oh. You know, so I told her all that, that, you know, that I see like people train for a month and they blow it on race day because they're not prepared. And some of it, is, I, I'm convinced some of it is like self, self, subconscious self-sabotage sometimes. I, mm-hmm. It's 
because you've done all this stuff and then like it, it just crumbles when you under the smallest thing. Right. So I was told her, you know, making a list and getting all your stuff together the night before any big event is a great way to calm your nerves and occupy your brain and also make sure that you have your stuff together. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the one practice that I absolutely swear by always have. I make a list, check everything off, put it in one place. Everything is well prepared hours before I'm ready to call it a night. So then I can just sort of chill and be calm that everything is ready. You know, and go to bed and wake up knowing I just have to grab this stuff and go out the door. Now, that said, my stellar organization comes to a screeching halt once I'm at said event. Like, I am a, I am a giant rolling junk show <laughs> once I get. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, for the life of me. Even after all these years, I cannot find an organizational system that suits me for long events. I start off okay. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put my food in this pocket and my wrappers in this and my tools in the saddle. And then before you know it, I have gels stuffed in my sports bra and I've got like, you know, wrappers <laughs> underneath the my the band of my shorts and I like a half eaten bar like stuffed into one pocket and I don't even know where my tools are. I, I've shown up to, to start lines without my bottle. Like I get that. And then I'm just, a, then everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And it, it's the bane of my existence, honestly, at endurance events. Like I marvel at people who make that part look effortless. Like Rebecca Rush is one that makes that part look effortless. So I, you know, yeah. I've, I've seen her do some last minute stuff, but she, you know, she travels a lot, but she does. She, she, she is meticulous about that. You know, she's a firefighter, so I, I think she has to be meticulous about about organization. Sure. But it's it's just not part of my DNA. I can organize a whole book in my head in order to do my writing job, but ask me to like organize nutrition and gear and all this stuff for a multi hour bike race, and I explode my bomb. Like shrapnel is everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, I it it's just it is what it is. I try to be better. It's like I always resolve, and I'm always the same. But uh, do you have a dedicated, especially now that you're rolling into, I mean, you do a lot of long things. These things you're doing are long. And now you're yep. rolling into a very big organizational thing. Do you have like a system, a dedicated system? Oh, man, this is not a question I want to answer. Because oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is not pretty. Um <laughs> No, I just laid bare my own. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, but my answer is way worse than yours. <laughs> you, you've got a system and sometimes the system doesn't carry you through to the finish line. I, I have a system in my head. I don't make I don't make a list and I should. I will uh, out of humility. I will run a picture from last year's King Ridge Dirt Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one I was just a half hour faster at last year. I got there, and had I not already had a helmet in my car, oh, no, I would have been in deep trouble. Uh, wow. I had I had forgotten my road helmet, and so I had to wear a mountain bike helmet. So I I rode on a gravel bike with a helmet with a visor, uh, <laughs> you know. And I you know every time I looked at another one of those images, I cringed. And and the weirdest part of all, quick aside, uh, the photographer who shoots all the grasshoppers for some reason decided to just tail me at the end of the day, I guess, because I was like fifth from last or something that year. And so there, so are, there like, are a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah. There are like at least a dozen images of me, if not 40. Um, and they're all of me with that. You know, it's not a stupid helmet, but you know, when you're on the road, it looks pretty stupid. Yeah. yeah it looks a little weird. <laughs> um, and I'm not trying to be elitist. I just have certain expectations of how I look when I'm on a bike with a drop bar. That's yeah. It. At least it wasn't a full face. <laughs> Little things worse. to be grateful. Yes. Yes. The funny thing is, at a certain level, I'm the exact opposite of you. Hmm. Because so long as I've packed everything and gotten it to the venue, once I'm at the venue, it's easy peasy. All the variables have been eliminated. The only thing left for me to decide 
is exactly how much food I'm putting in my pockets. And basically, I just make a point of it to carry more food than I'll ever eat. But you know, like you put it in one pocket and then your wrappers go in the other pocket and you have your tools in a certain thing. I mean, do you do, do you do yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, that piece of the system's all really easy because the seat bag's already on the bike. It's got a little mini tool in there. There's two tubes, a CO2. Right. So that's already done. Do you and, never open that bag and say you don't have the head to your CO2 because you stole it out of there like three weeks before and forgot or anything like that? That has happened on training rides. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, I've never, I've been fortunate never to have that happen at an event. Um, but I need to find some lumber really quick and beat on it for a minute or two. <laughs> I, so, um, you know, with, where things fall apart, it's like, I know I've done so much of this. I know exactly what I need to bring. The problem is right. that what I really need is one bag a, a tote that is well organized into which I can put absolutely everything. So the bag that I use most often as my gear bag will not hold all of my clothing, the change of clothes, my sport kilt for changing, the baby wipes, the food, the shoes. It'll it'll handle all of that stuff. But then there's the helmet that can't fit in that bag. Um, or I could stuff the helmet in this one pocket, but then the shoes are somewhere else. It seems you should be able to remedy that. I've never found. I'm, I swear I am still looking for the perfect bag. I have an really? idea of what it should be. Yeah, I want a tote. I don't want something you zip shut. I want it to have like five different sort of buckets and maybe a couple oh, of little, little smaller pockets but I want to see that my shoes so are sitting So not there. a duffel bag. You don't want a duffel bag. No, no. I Got want you. something that has some structure and sits mm-hmm. open and I can I just understand. look down at it. And that way I have a visual checklist right. of, right. oh, right. The, you know, the, the yeah, shoes no, are that's, the You should invent that because I would like that too because I routinely unzip my whole thing and take everything out, convinced that my shoes have jumped out from the night before. Yeah. I've been known to actually pull over on the road. I'm a little OCD. And be like, my shoes. I know I put them in there. But, like, can you imagine if I didn't make a list and put stuff? I'd be... I, I, well, I, obviously you wouldn't live. I'd never get out of the house. Yeah. I mean, you, you would you would live in such an ongoing state of anxiety and, and whatever else we would file that under. That, yeah, you you wouldn't much enjoy doing events. <laughs> right, right. But that but that would be what you're... What the, the invention that has yet to be made would resolve that because I could just yeah. glance back and be like, Hey, my shoes have not jumped out of my bag. They're right there. Yeah. Next I mean, to the helmet was... that has not jumped out of my bag. Exactly. Hmm. There was an occasion I slipped my GPS into a little pocket inside the bag that I use most often. And for whatever reason, this was, this is also King Ridge, but a few years ago, <laughs> uh, I go looking for the GPS and I can't find it. I get back. It's sitting in that pocket. So, <laughs> Uh, since then, I've known that, OK, this is now my system, that the little the little pocket that's meant for glasses is lined on the inside that really mm-hmm. isn't big enough for glasses. Yeah. Every, yep. Everything on this bag is about 10 percent too small. <laughs> the whole idea behind the bag was to create something that you could use as a carry on for an airplane. Right. And unfortunately, that mission conflicts with the other mission that I need it for. And I think most people who who bought that bag from Showers Pass, it is otherwise a really, really terrific bag. But I don't need movable dividers. Uh, you know, I, 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 I almost I can almost see this thing, you know, um, some some plastic inside the Cordura and, you know, something mm-hmm. nice and stout and, you know, just two handles. Yeah, Trot no, I get you. I follow, yeah. I'm following you. Yeah. Um, hmm. Who should I talk to about that? I don't know. Some some <laughs> ingenious person needs to get on that. It's but you know, you're right. That is a thing. <laughs> it is a yep. thing. It is a thing. All right then. Oh, yeah. So I'm gonna address a listener question. Okay. One of our New England based listeners, Paul, did his first gravel race recently. This was not his first gravel event, but it was his first gravel race. Mm-hmm. And he wrote us because he was appalled by the amount of trash left behind by riders. Hmm. Um, 
<laughs> and honestly, there wasn't a real question in his email, just a level of general dismay at the number of rappers <laughs> on the ground. Uh, and, you know, I've been around long enough that I do understand that there's an implicit question, which is how the hell do we deal with this so that the locals don't hate us? Um, and I'm curious, Celine, do you encounter hostility for cyclists out in the hinterlands when you're doing an event in Pennsylvania? You know what? I really haven't. Wow. No, not not Dynamite. about not about not about that. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> we get hostility for other things, but not not for litter. You? I, yeah. 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 It's yeah. That's a thing here. Yeah. Uh, I've seen locals uh, scream at event volunteers for trash dropped by riders, not even associated with the event. Like at at Levi's Grand Fondo year before last, this woman came driving up with all these used water bottles and screaming at everybody about how we were ruining the area and the fact was that Levi's organization, they clean up the course afterwards. So all those mm -hmm. water bottles that she found were bottles that other people not doing the Fondo had left on other days. Right. Uh, but she wanted to hold the event responsible for that. And, you know, I mean, honestly, there was an event that I used to do in New England years ago that came to an end between trash on the road and people peeing in bushes. That was that one charge was specifically leveled at the race. We have um, and I'm not saying that people never, you know, I'll, I'll get to that when you're done. There have been events where the promoters have scolded us, but mm -hmm. um, the peeing in the bushes things we have, we have encountered some uh, locals, especially lo we have a, a like the, you know, Sunday morning worlds that goes off every Sunday and mm -hmm. People aren't super crazy about the regular P stuff <laughs> that that happens, but yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> you know, I've seen this kind of from all sides. Uh, when I was at UMass, uh, one of the riders got honked at one day during one of the sprint workouts. He was coming up to a town line and there was a car behind us and he was out near the yellow lines mm -hmm. and got honked at and he turned around and flipped the driver off. Turns out she was the wife of the chief of police of that town. Right. And uh, the UMass road race went through that town up until that year. So, I, yeah, you know, th this is definitely a thing. Uh, and I get that, you know, it's not terribly likely that an event is going to get canceled just for trash, but mm -hmm. it could certainly be, a contributing factor to me. And this is something I do care about. And it's something I've given some thought to, and I pay attention to how others deal with it. I think you have to address mm -hmm. this on two fronts. The first is that like you noted, the event organizer has to communicate clearly on just how important it is not to drop trash. And I get that sometimes somebody's trying to pull one thing out of their pocket and something else falls out. You know, that's an accident. I, I get it. I don't want to crucify anybody for that. The organizer has to communicate clearly about that. And I think the thing there is it's not enough to put it once in the race flyer. It's, you know, it got to be on the website. It's got to be mentioned at registration. It's got to be mentioned in the announcements before the start. Um, and, you know, it doesn't hurt to reach out to some influential writers and ask them to help speak up and mention it to people. Um the other thing that I've seen that I think is really impressive, and speaking of Yuri Hoswald, uh, mm -hmm. the organizer can do things like pick up trash the day after the event. Mm -hmm. What Goo does that's really interesting at the Markleyville Death Ride, they have several groups. I want to say it's like a half dozen different groups, and each of those groups goes out and rides like a 15 to 20 mile stretch of the course up and back. Yep. And they pick up all the trash that was left behind. And it's just genius. And after that. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen people do that. It's, you know, that's pretty dynamite. Um, I was invited to do that. But since I wasn't doing the death ride, I wasn't going to drive to Markleyville just to help pick up trash. But it was, uh, I right. think that's a pretty dynamite thing. Yeah. Um, what other things do you know of, Celine, in your neck of the woods that people have done to try to combat, you know, events that get out of hand? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a tricky thing, right? Like we had we did have it's funny. Um, this came up at one of the Mid Atlantic Super Series races a few years ago. You know, someone's like, guys, stop, you know, put your gel packets back in your pocket. It was mostly gel packets. And some guy who is notorious for just stirring the pot was like, well, that's what I pay my rice entry for is like somebody to clean up after me. And yeah, and he got soundly trounced as as he should have. But it's a so let me let me ask you a devil's advocate kind of question. (laughs) So you are you are racing, 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 and you are doing well and you're in the mix and you go to put your gel packet back in your back pocket and you miss. Do you turn around? No, I mean, that's the same sort of thing. It was an accident. Accidents happen. Well, no, say, you know, you did it like, you know, you missed. Oh, uh, even so, do you yeah, st- I, do you- it's still an accident. It was not something deliberate. Um, and, and yeah, if I'm if I'm in a strong if I'm in a group, <laughs> if I'm in a group, I am not stopping. Okay. Now, case, case in point. So I get to the bottom of the Willow Creek descent at King Ridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finally get on the first stretch of pavement after that. I'm thinking, OK, I got to start eating, got to start eating. And first stretch of smooth road, I reach in my pocket, I pull, I pull out a gel, and a second gel comes out and hits the road. There was nobody near me. I turned around, went back, got the gel. Was yeah. it a matter of I needed those calories? I still ended up, I finished with a gel or two in my pocket. So losing that gel wasn't going to kill me. But I wasn't going to leave something on the road if it wasn't going to make any difference in how my race was going. Totally, totally. And I and I and I 100 percent agree with that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I I most of our promoters really just lecture us beforehand and then they have somebody sweeping. They have a moto guy or somebody just sort of sweeping and making sure because we want to make sure that. We leave the especially if we're in state forests and stuff like that's Mm -hmm. that's that's tenuous anyway. We want to make sure that we don't wreck that relationship for that, right? For for any kind of litter whatsoever. And I honestly don't see a lot of it. You see you see the errant bottle that has popped out of somebody's, you know, bike and stuff. But and if I'm not going for it, I'll actually pick stuff up. You know, I'll mm-hmm. I'll just sweep some stuff if I see it on the way too. Um it's interesting when I did uh that Titan Tropic race in Cuba, we uh-huh. had these little stickers. They were so so crazy about litter that we had little stickers that we had to put on all of our everything, our bottles, our food wrappers, etc. So if you would were to throw your food wrapper out, um, they would have your your number <laughs> like the people picking up trash would have your wow. number. And you would. Yeah. And let me tell you, the last stage I had um, an alley bar. I'll never forget it. Like I ripped it like it was partially ripped open. I ripped the rest of it open. I stuffed it in my face. And I went to put the wrapper back in my pocket and the wrapper itself sort of tore all the way in half and half of it flew away. And I I wasn't in the position to like stop and put down my bike and go hunting for it. And I spent the rest of that race feeling profoundly guilty and then super worried because the part of the wrapper had my little number on it. So it's like, what do I do? I'm like, do I stop? And like, cause the wind was blowing. I didn't even know if I could find it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I almost just like went to confession afterwards, (laughs) like, forgive me. (laughs) Such a Catholic thing. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, it was, yeah. So we don't have, I mean, I, I know our running events, oddly enough, uh, end up with a whole lot more trash on the road. A, A friend of mine runs the local marathon it's like a tradition of his with a garbage bag every day afterwards and just picks up all the stuff that people you know and it's just the kind of thing where you know they go through the the zone where you have the cups and the gels and stuff but then they run out of the trash zone and just throw it on the ground like well out of the trash zone and he finds all kinds of stuff yeah but it's the same thing like they're going through people's cities they're going through in front of people's homes you don't want to like litter yeah, it, I mean, it's weird how just, you know, grabbing a, a cup of water or Gatorade or whatever and taking two slips and uh, two sips and just tossing it down. 
I mean, that's, that's just part of our image of what marathoning is. You know, it's all you right. can do just to get the fluid into you. Um, but you know, one of the other things that I, I really, I've never talked to him about, but there's this fellow Dirk, uh, I mountain bike with him. And then when that grasshoppers happen, he drives his dual moto, uh, motorcycle driving support for us. And he's got a fork mountain back that he'll sometimes have some wheels and he's got a refrigerated box that he puts some Cokes in there. He's got a floor pump with him. You know, he's a competent cyclist, so he knows how to take care of people out there. And there was a photo at the end of King Ridge of just like old dead tubes hanging off of his motorcycle <laughs> and stuff. And I, I got to, I wonder now, like if, if Dirk is running across stuff and picking that up in addition to, you know, him offering support to people out there. Certainly when he pulls over to help somebody with a flat, no tubes are getting left on the ground there. Right, right. Uh, I'm clear on that much. But, I, you know, Dirk is such a good dude and is just uh, so, so bent on making sure that the community is well taken care of. It wouldn't surprise me if he saw an ejected bottle and pulled over for it. That's yeah. cool. That's yeah. cool. No, it's, it's a real, I mean, it's a real thing and it's... Uh... You know, it's interesting. And I think people are becoming more aware of it. There was that marathon. I think it was London that had the seaweed packets. Did you see that? They were like little pods of water. Oh, really? That that you just popped in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was brilliant. Like no plastic at all. You know, I think we're we're moving in that direction and it's less litter is a good thing. It's like a a ball of water Mm -hmm. surrounded by seaweed. So Mm. all the water actually goes inside your mouth. Holy cow. No, yeah. I, I mean, obviously I had not heard of that. That's pretty stinking cool. It's super cool. Super cool. Huh. That, that, you don't have that image of all those, all those plastic cups just littering the road. I mean, that's, that is our image and that image I think needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not the best image to put across for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Groovy. Oh. Yeah. Well, paceline picks. You bet. Um, I have one, and I think it's actually one that you might be familiar with. I've been playing around with uh, Velo Pro. Are you uh-huh. here? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've been coached most of my racing life. You know, I usually had some sort of professional coaching. And the past year or two, I've sort of been mostly self-coaching, but it's not awesome. Like, it's not great to have to write your own plans and come up with stuff. So, um Andrew Bernstein, who reps them, is like, oh, you should try this. And it's it's kind of a cool it's a cool platform. So for those who don't know, and I'm talking about this thing, it's a it is a self-coaching kind of tool. So it, you you input a lot of data about yourself, like how many hours you want to ride, you know, what days you're going to ride, the, a lot of stuff about your life, kind of like you would tell a coach, right? Like this is yep. this is my life. And then it uses, you know, AI to sort of put back to you a program. You know, you put obviously put the races, like the dates that you want to target something like I have a big mountain bike race here, or I have a big road race here. And it spits out a training program for you. And, you know, it sort of adjusts along the way as, as you go through it. But I think it's pretty cool. I think, you know, it's like $10 a month and there's a 30 day trial period. And I thought that was super reasonable. It for really what is. You, yeah. For what you get, I think it's super reasonable and it's just, like, of course, it doesn't take the place of a coach, right? Like a coach is a coach is a coach. But if you really just want structure, it's outstanding. It's outstanding yeah. to just give you a skeleton of structure to be like, OK, today I'm going to do an endurance ride with some threshold intervals and blah, blah, blah. And just, you know, it's it's lovely to wake up and have a plan there for you. And yep. I, yeah, I think it's uh, what was your experience with it? Um. You know, so far, so good. I I like that, you know, it'll tell you to do something. And if you promptly go out and not do that thing and either, you know, you don't ride that day and then you ride on a day you weren't supposed to. The Mm -hmm. moment you input the data, you see everything else change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And as it should. I mean, that's that's yeah, that's yeah. Uh, But, you know, it's kind of remarkable to get that instant feedback. Yes. Uh, especially because so many people I know who have relationships with coaches don't have anything near that immediacy of feedback. Well, and that's, 
that's the beauty of a computer program, right? Yes. I mean, it's it, it can, you know, it, it's not a coach rolling its eyes going, oh, no, I have to recalibrate your program. Um, <laughs> it, it just does it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the so, yeah, I dig that it will periodize a plan and, you know, it can it will taper for you. The the thing that I want to see them uh, make more robust uh, is when you input what your goals are, what your mm-hmm. A event is. Right now, that tool is rather blunt. What do you mean? It, well, like I couldn't put in, I'm going to do Dirty Kansas 200 and indicate that on June 1st, I was going to ride 200 miles. I had to pick the random A event. Because oh, there's right. randonnée, there's criterium, there's right, mountain bike right. race, and you you don't really get the opportunity to input that much information about just what it is you're training for. Totally, totally, and especially if you're doing something so far outside of the norm, like a dirty yeah. can, so you would run into a problem with that. Yeah, well, and that's why I choose the randonnée event. I figured, well, that's bound to be the thing that's going to be most like what this is in terms of right. length. Uh, right. And at my level, maybe intensity as well. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it is a nice it is a nice system. And one of the great things is they've got reasonably seamless integration with, uh, mm-hmm. with Strava so that mm-hmm. you can import a lot of data data uh, pretty easily. Something I want to ask you that's been kind of nagging on me. Um, so there's that number in Strava when you're when you're signed up for one of the premium services there's that training score or whatever number they training have stress, the tss the training stress score well it's not i don't think it's it's not a training peaks tss but it's along those lines and then velopro has their i think they call it tl training load yes um you know but you know, an easy ride in any of those is going to be sub 100 and a really, really hard day is going to be north of 500. And but when I look at like the number I get on Strava and the number I get in Velopro, they're two different numbers. And I'm not on Training Peaks, but someone else I know who has Strava and Training Peaks gets a different number in Training Peaks than <laughs> yes. they get on Strava. So do you have any knowledge or any way to reconcile in one's head the difference between all those numbers? No, Do you just pick not, one not an one? easy one. Yeah. I mean, I think because it's so it, it's it's better just to. It would be like having a bunch of different scales that gave you your weight in different ways, right? Just pick one and just mm-hmm. use it relative to itself, because I don't I don't think and I haven't I honestly haven't tried. I haven't tried to reconcile that kind of stuff. But I, I, I don't think there's a neat way because there's not everybody uses different algorithms. There's not a, there's not a neat standardization going on there. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think what you said about, you know, we could we could sum it up as as uh, English versus metric. Right. Um, and I that was the, the suspicion I was driving toward, but hadn't quite gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. So. OK. Uh, handy numbers, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cool. I, I'm going to be interested to hear once you've had a little more season uh, with Velo Pro what you think of it, because uh, an evaluation from you is certainly going to. Well, it means more than me. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's just, you know, I wouldn't. I think for I again, and I, I just think if you if you're really just looking, I'm I'm of the belief that some structure goes a very long way. A lot of people have no structure, none. Yep. And if you just apply a level, a layer of structure, it is amazing what happens. It, it, it just, it, it bumps your results exponentially. It really does. But then you reach a point of diminishing returns, right? Like there's, you know, or marginal gains, as some people might say, like after, you know, you have to keep sort of layering other structure and then there's more feedback and back and forth and looking at more metrics and it gets deeper, deeper dives. I mean, I, you wouldn't train for the Olympics or even like a, a giant A event using VeloPro, right? But if you are somebody who just has no structure to your training, I think it's a really nice way to get structure. And I think it's a nice way to make sure that you have the kind of input and variety and stress that you do need. That yeah. Again, most people don't. Like a lot of people don't. 
ever do any kind of purposeful interval work or any kind of purposeful easy rides even. So yeah. just to have that laid out in and of itself is super beneficial for somebody who has signed up, you know, for their first anything. And they're just like, I have no idea. Besides riding lots, how do I prepare for this? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's I think it's good. And it's accountability. It's, you know, you 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 may not have a coach, but you have to input those numbers. You know, you have to tell it like you did or you didn't or what you did. If, so it's uh, so on that. I mean, on that level, I think it's that's why I would just recommend it to somebody now, like going into a deeper dive on it. That's going to take some time and to see just what I think. But I, I my gut is that these these kind of plans aren't necessarily for that audience. That's my gut. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. I mean, so often I'm talking to riders who like don't take rest weeks and, you know, I try to encourage them, you know, at minimum, after you've done three weeks of like pretty steady Mm -hmm. riding, take a rest week. And so when you're dealing with people where that's, that's the, the level of, of periodization that they're just beginning to work toward something like VeloPro, I agree, will do a whole lot. Yeah. Because it gives shape to the year in a way three weeks and rest, three weeks and rest will not. So it definitely it's going to add a big layer there that will be I, super and helpful. And I think, I mean, my gut would be that, you know, if you have a coach, because, you know, that's sort of the model is three to one. But not everyone does super well with three to one. Some people need a two to one. Right. And I, I wonder if Velo Pro would just automatically adjust to you if you just keep. You know what I'm saying? If you keep mm-hmm. sort of like underperforming or whatever, if it I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, that's a really interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're not recovering sufficiently after right. uh, some time off. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, something know. for us both to, to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Well, uh, you know, to your, to your issue earlier, my pick this week is Castelli's race rain bag. Okay. It was designed for pro riders to have in their team car with replacement essentials and foul weather gear. These bags have to be small if you're going to have eight or nine of them in a car. Uh, I've encountered a few of these uh, similar sorts of products over the last few years. And yeah, honestly, up until now, I was never entirely positive how to apportion the space in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Castelli's race rain bag, there's a main compartment with several smaller mesh uh, pockets within it that all close up. Um, and then the main compartment is good for like a jacket or something similarly bulky. You could probably even get a helmet in there, honestly. Uh, while the, sc- the smaller compartments are perfect for warmers, socks, gloves, that sort of thing. And then there's a zippered compartment near the bottom that will hold a pair of shoes. And you can actually detach that one so that you have just the shoe pocket or just the shoe compartment thing, uh, should you need it. The question, naturally, is why most riders might want one of these things. We don't do races with team cars (laughs) following us around. So what utility is this thing? For me, for me, I Mm -hmm. regularly do rides where I hop in the car, more or less ready to go, drive to the start of the ride. I don't need a huge gear bag, shoes, helmet, gloves, GPS, and either bottles or a hydration pack. I hate that feeling of packing for a weekend away when I'm just driving a couple of towns over for a three-hour ride. You know, that's the sort of thing that makes me think, okay, this is too much to take on this afternoon. I should just stay closer to home. So when I can keep things more compact, simpler, more ready to go, I'm... I I feel like I'm stealing less away from the rest of my life to do something like that. Um, And honestly, this thing, you know, popped into my life because of an event I did with uh, the Costelli folks. And they had some kit in there that they wanted me to try and open this thing up. And I was just blown away at how cool the bag was. It was like, this is going to get pressed into service. And I've definitely been using it since then. So it's it's not cheap. It's about 80 bucks. but for somebody who wants truly a small, you know, compact bag that is well organized, this thing is pretty dynamite. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, you've been busy with bicycling. I've seen a bunch of stuff lately. Always busy with bicycling. Yeah, I, it's funny. I wrote I wrote another piece on cycling cadence, which is 
this is seems to be kind of ludicrous because I just wrote a piece on cycling cadence, <laughs> but uh, but people love to talk about uh, people really love to talk about cadence, and I'm surprised how many researchers sort of pour their energy into finding that sweet spot where effort is maximized without wasting energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, Mostly because I feel like it's such a moving target. It's it's funny. This particular study found that 80 R, RPM uh, was about the sweet spot, which is, is actually where a lot of riders settle in. A lot of riders come in at 80. And all the studies I've read for the past 20 years or so have sort of found that. Um, and when you are lighter, you go higher. When you're heavier, you're lower. You know, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. when you're fitter, you're faster. But it's just they... It, yeah, I wrote a, a, another another piece on cadence and people it's a do you watch your cadence when you do yeah. you, like with a cadence sense or anything? Yeah, I, I sometimes do just to just to see. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, but I know people who like very are very particular and they do try to stay in within within certain cadences and that's honestly never been my my thing. You know, I, I think if you want to train yourself into a particular cadence and learn to be efficient at that cadence, a cadence monitor, uh, you know, a sensor so that you can look at on your GPS. That's the way to do it. But at a certain point, muscle memory needs to take over because you can't be in the middle of a road race looking at what your cadence is. That's just, that's, you've got other more important things to tend to. Uh, Yes. You know, so for me, I will on occasion when I've ridden a bike with a power meter Mm-hmm. You know, two-sided power meter, it'll give you your cadence because it can tell right. based on those surges in power. And the thing that I've noticed in looking back at a couple of rides, I'm kind of in the 83 to 85 range. And, you know, I it's one of those things that I look at and I think about, well, could I be more efficient? Could I this? Could I that? It's like, if I'm going to work on something, I've got other bigger fish to fry. Yeah, and I, and I, I always wonder if it's just... I feel like my gut is always you're putting the cart in front of the horse with that. Like, I feel like the cadence follows those other things that you're talking about working on, not the other way around. I, that That's mm. that's my that's how I feel about it. I, I don't know if I, my gut is right there, but. No, that it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I also remember, you know, Lance Armstrong would make fun of Jan Ulrich for his low cadence. Yeah, but look uh, at but the two the of same- them. Look at the two of them. Like one of them was built very differently than the other. And as I mentioned in this piece and Hunter Allen reminded me that Lance used to be a muscly guy that pedaled 85 RPM. Yep. I mean, I'll leave all the other PED stuff off the table. Like he used to be a pretty big guy. He looked like a bull on the bike when he was doing triathlon. He was a big man. And then he had cancer and he came back a shell of himself and he had to pedal faster to produce the same Watts. Like that's it. You know, I I think that that's the defining thing. And then it was just a bunch of smoke and mirrors saying that (laughs) this is the, this is the secret sauce, but we won't go there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Jan Ulrich and we're going to see a whole lot more cyclists who are built more like that guy than Lance Armstrong. Yeah. And, you know, even as he was making fun of him for his low cadence at the same time, he was saying, oh, he's the most talented guy out there. That was probably part of his mind psych, you know, to his competitor. Totally. But the fact was, you know, I mean, that guy was smooth. Yeah, it wasn't a super fast cadence, but he looked comfortable on the bike. I liked his pedal stroke. You know, he looked like a really powerful rider. And And they didn't run the same, like, those guys would have to beg for a 27 on their bikes. Are you kidding me? Like, they weren't running pie plates like rooms running <laughs> like yeah. nobody had these giant pizzas on their cassettes yeah that's absolutely true uh i mean yeah nobody was running compacts until tyler hamilton in 2003 <laughs> so yeah you know a, a 39 25 on a big alpine climb especially when <laughs> you've got five that day it's like oh my gosh yeah i'd have a cadence of six yeah he'd be mashing potatoes too <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. All right. What about yourself? Anything going uh, on? Well, I uh, I wrote a piece uh, earlier this week about uh, control levers and oh, why they're that. not being made uh, for women. And an interesting thing, I've known that there have been 
levers out there that were shorter, but mm -hmm. the bodies of the control levers themselves were the same. And until recently, they weren't really all that adjustable. Well, they're more adjustable now, but the pivots have remained in the same places, except I just learned that Shimano very quietly released an Ultegra lever where the pivot was moved up, the lever is shorter. Um, it sounds like mm. a lot of the things that I was talking about, and I never heard about the release of this lever. So I've got to go dig into that a little bit, and I'm actually going to update the piece based on it. Yeah, uh, interesting. You know, it's just, I mean, I look at my hands and I look at my relationship to most control levers, and it's not great. And I've got an ordinary size hand for a man. It's it's so interesting. I mean, I don't want to get I don't want to deep dive into this whole thing because <laughs> I, I read your piece and it was based off that glamour piece about like a woman negotiating a whole world that has been created by men. And that's that is just a fact. Like yep. women did not do a whole lot of things in any positions of control or power for a long time. This is not nobody at me about anything, but that's just true. So we had cars and things. Everything was built by dudes and through those eyes. And that's why women like. Couldn't see over, you know, dashboards, <laughs> windshields, but it, but it still, but it still exists in just such subtle ways. I mean, that woman was talking about rock climbing holds, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff is just built like with a different wingspan and different stuff in mind. And it, I had this come to stark relief to me at Lulaca in a, in a way that totally surprised me. So, you know, that rule of thumb where you're like, if you want to know if your tires, I do here, do this all the time. Like to check your tire pressure if it's right for, you know, a certain gravel event across, like they will press down on the tire until it just barely touches rim. And then they're like, that's good. You know, or they know by sort of squeezing it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I, I would try to do that, but I, my hands aren't as strong as some guys. Right. So, uh, yep. So it, it, it yields a very different result. If you get that mark, you're running 20 PSI in your tires. Oh, and I do. Like I had some guy like at squeeze my tires like, oh, my God, it was like a, and I squeeze him. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, what? How much do you have in there? I told him and he. But, I, you know, I, I, I then I wonder, is that OK? Because I'm lighter than a guy with bigger hands. Like, I don't I don't actually know the, the answer to that, but. It, it was interesting to me because especially on the mountain bike, I can't, I'm not going to squeeze that tire the same way as, sure. you know, my, my friend who's like got much bigger, stronger hands who works as mechanic at the bike shop. Like that's just not happening. So it's just, it, it comes to me in very subtle ways, the way that things are sort of filtered through a male prism and they just still are. It, it's mm -hmm. going to be that way mm -hmm. for a very long time. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully we're giving more thought to this stuff now. Oh, uh, I think know, we are. Yeah. Uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Lori Lee Lown, uh, mm -hmm. oh, chimed in on, on Facebook and talked about, you know, how much more is available for the fitter now. And she was absolutely right. Uh, but it was one of those things like I was talking about this one thing, just the control levers. But yeah, when you back up and you look at the tools available or the options available to a fitter now. It's so much better than when I was working as a fitter in the early 1990s. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got zero offset posts. You've got two centimeter offset. You can turn some posts forward. You've got so many more choices in saddles. So certainly putting a woman on a bike is a lot easier than it once was. Um, and hopefully, you know, if we were to take a cross section of the population, hopefully we really would find that women are a good deal more comfortable on bikes now than they used to be. I, I think that I think that's true. I, I think it's still I mean, it's a hard it's a hard issue because you have this this vehicle that was built around a certain mean, a certain norm that is very different. Like, the you know, the average woman's five, four. That puts the bell curve in such a radically different place. Yeah. You know, imagine if bikes had been built by four women, men would be in the same position, right? Going this thing does not you know, it's just. You know, we've yeah. gotten way, way, way better about it. And I think that the women of all sizes have been able to find bikes that are much better and that actually fit and can get bikes fit to them. But, yeah, it's a uh, I, I think everyone's still working on it. <laughs> True enough. Oh, well, hey, everybody. Keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. 
Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. Uh, This week, I'm taking off because I've been traveling. Uh, When I get back, our next interview will be with Paul Sadoff, and that one was rich. It's really good. I'm excited to get that one mixed. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.